Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. There are many who believe that college sports teams are the leaders in diversity. That as you look at the roster of both men's and women's teams, you see a wealth of inclusion. That's on the field or on the court. But what about on the sidelines or on the bench? Just what are we seeing in terms of diversity for coaches and athletic department leaders? Dr. Bernard Franklin is the NCAA Vice President of Education and Community Engagement and the Chief Inclusion Officer, and we're delighted to have him here with us today. Bernard, it's always nice to see you. Good to see you as well, Jack. Let's talk about some of these perceptions and some realities, if we can. So I opened this by saying a lot of people look at, at, at college sports teams and they say, you know what, they seem to be getting it right. We, we see different colors of, of faces and we see the types of inclusion that we like to think we're striving for. Is that, is that accurate? Are we in fact seeing that type of diversity and inclusion on our sports teams? Um, well, if you, if you look at for instance, uh, just Division One, and we'll take the three most high-profile sports that we have, that being football, men's and women's basketball. And in Division One, uh, in terms of uh, student-athletes, um, over 57% of the student-athletes in Division One football are student-athletes of color. In men's basketball in Division One, over 75% of the student-athletes are student-athletes of color. And in women's basketball, over 65% of the student-athletes are student-athletes of color. And the majority of those student-athletes of color are African-American. So when the public looks out on the field or the court, they do see a high representation of diversity given the demographics of the students who participate in that sport. But you contrast that to those who walk up and side, up up and down the sideline or stand on um, the side of the bench, and you realize that there's great disparity between the student athletes who are participating and those who are who are coaching. In Division One, uh, for example, um, eighty percent of the football coaches are white. Uh, and you contrast that the percentage of student athletes. When you look in Division One, less than 25% of the of the coaches, head coaches, are coaches of color, and that number is even lower for the the women's sports. So we don't necessarily see the kind of diversity and representation in head coaching and coaching positions as we see in the student-athlete participation rates. Let's talk about some of the whys surrounding that. Um, <clears throat> when we talk about the, um, the, the inclusion on teams, and uh, you know, younger people might not realize the struggle that was involved to get there. Uh, I, I produced a documentary for CBS Sports just a couple of years ago talking about the integration of the SEC for football. And most people didn't realize the SEC was the last of the major football conferences to integrate. It wasn't until 1966, 1967. It was actually the University of Kentucky that did it. And I remember as I traveled around the, the country and, and talking about this, and, and then when it was aired on CBS Sports, and, and people would come to me about it, and, and invariably they'd say, we didn't know that. We, we didn't know that for so long there were so many places in the country where people of color could not play on varsity college sports teams. 
How do we explain how the progress we made since, let's say, 1966-67, when the SEC was finally integrated, to now where we have the types of numbers that you just quoted for me? What's the, what's the explanation for how we've gotten where we are now? Well, you know, I, I think sports in many ways um, mirrored what was going on in the, the larger general society. The, the, the time period that you're describing uh, reflects the the struggle that this country uh, encountered around civil rights and um, equal opportunities, particularly for people of color. And so as those barriers were broken down and opportunities were created, um, that impacted higher education, particularly what have been segregated higher education, because prior to that time, as you're well known, um, because those opportunities didn't exist at institutions um, like were representing the SEC, all of those student athletes were going to historically black colleges and universities. So you had this uh, overabundance of talent, particularly at HBCUs, uh, that produced some of the first um, uh, athletes to go into the professional league. So uh, uh, as the society became uh, more open, and there were more opportunities for particularly people of color. Um, that impacted higher education, and so those opportunities were presented there. And so more and more student-athletes took advantage of, of those opportunities. So th th we've made such progress there, and that's the good news. The, the concerning news, is, as you mentioned before, is when you compare the numbers of, uh, in terms of participation and the diversity of players, to the diversity of, of the coaches, the people who are guiding these young people uh, as they participate as student athletes here. It, it, there's an, an astonishing difference there. And I, I guess it, it's not that easy to ask for a simple why for that, but let me ask you anyway. What, what are your thoughts as to why we're not seeing? Because you, you would think that as more and more, let, let's talk about football and the, the, the figure right. that you mentioned about college football coaches. More and, for, more and more young men of color, young African-American men are playing college football. They're graduating. They're having their degrees. They're in a position to go now and continue perhaps in a profession that would have something to do with what they loved, playing football. You would think that there would be more and more men of color on the sidelines for college football teams, and we're not seeing it. Why do you think you know, Jack, it is a, um, a, a, a simple question to ask, <laughs> yes. but it, 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 it's very complex, I think, in terms of how, you, how I might um, respond. I think there are, there are certainly a number of issues. I, th I still think that there are uh, issues related to um, notions of, of, of race, and still doors that need to be opened and opportunities still need to be created, uh, similar to, you know, the, the kinds of challenges we faced in the civil rights um, uh, era. Um, so I think more opportunities have to be created. And I think um, there has to be a realization on the part of the student athletes that you're talking about, because one of the things that we found out that was absolutely astounding is that many student athletes didn't know that you could have a career in intercollegiate athletics, regardless of your major. 
Uh, if you're an accountant, there's a job for you in athletics. Uh, if you're an architect, there's a job for you in athletics. And so when we discovered this several years ago, we created a Korean sports forum where we bring together about 300 student athletes across all three divisions to the national office and we give them two and a half days of exposure into if you want to be a coach, these are the kinds of things that you need to do. If you want to be an administrator, these are the kinds of things that you need to do. If you want to be an official, these are the kinds of training. So we expose them to the full breadth of the opportunities in intercollegiate athletics. Now, I think we're planting the seeds for that next generation of leadership in both coaching and athletic administration. But we have to have a beginning, and we've got to, to expose our student-athletes to those kinds of opportunities. So I think that's part of that. The other part of that is that I think um, we've got to better engage presidents and chancellors in this discourse because they hire athletic directors, and in conjunction with athletic directors, they hire head coaches. And so if they're not engaged in this discourse and, and, and understand the disparity that we have, um, it, it's very chilling when I have a student athlete who uh, we, we want to expose to a career in intercollegiate athletics who says to me, but Dr. Franklin, I don't see anybody who looks like me. So how can I aspire to something where I don't see myself? And so I think it's critically important that we address this issue in terms of creating those opportunities so that our current and future student athletes can see more people who look like them, whether it's race or gender. Do you think, and you sort of touched on this a minute ago when we were talking about the, the notion of, of how race can intro, introduce itself and, and sort of raise its ugly head, if you would, in some of these scenarios. Um, we remember it wasn't that long ago that young African-American men were not encouraged to be quarterbacks. Exactly. There, there was a sense, and even as the doors were open to young African-American men, let's talk about football now, um, to get on campuses and to play, and, and the, 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 the conferences you know, sort of began to integrate and began to embrace the presence of young African-American men, there was still sort of this lingering notion that, sure, you can play any other position on the field except quarterback. That's changed, and we know that's changed. Yes. And we know we have now, you know, young men, no matter what their, their color, can play any position if they're good enough. That's the standard as it should be. Do you think there's some type of vestige of that still involved here in terms of, of the, the coaches and certainly the head coaches and what, what, what's going to be available to men of color? You know, I, I think it goes back to this whole notion of creating um, opportunities. Because what you're talking about is that as more and more men of color were given the opportunity to play quarterback and were given the opportunity to excel in that role, then those kinds of stereotypes were broken down. Same for head coaches of color. The more opportunities that are created and the more that they excel and win, because that's an important element of, of all of this, um, then I think those kinds of stereotypes are, are, are broken down. 
Many times, uh, I think, particularly for coaches of color, um, they are uh, stellar at the X's and O's, but may not always be given the opportunity to learn about the, the kind of the non-coaching elements of being a head coach. Because in essence, you are a CEO, particularly of high-profile football programs, a CEO of a multi-million dollar enterprise. And so the kind of experiences that they have to be given to prepare them for those opportunities, I think. So we do a number of things. We do the Champions Forum where we take what we think are uh, men of color who are maybe one or two steps from becoming a head coach. And we don't teach them X's and O's. We teach them about um, communication, about financial planning, mm -hmm. <laughs> all of those kinds of things that you may not get exposed to simply because you're assistant coach and you're a defensive coordinator. Well, and, that's your focus. And they might not even know that, that they need to know this exactly. moving forward if they haven't, as you said, seen people who look like them, who are already there, who can mentor them, who can put an arm around them and say, look, you, you're, you are a great coordinator here, but I want you to work on public speaking. Right. I want you to work on how you would deal with donors, mm -hmm. those types of things. If nobody's telling somebody that, they don't know to do it. Exactly. What about the, the, the question of women on the sidelines? You know, you, we periodically see, and I remember fairly recently seeing an article in the New York Times talking about how the, the numbers of, of, of women who are head coaches in women's sports is, de is declining. Yes. And, and that seems to be so counterintuitive. Again, you see the success of the women's programs. You know, I go back to Title IX, and, I, and I'm, at, I'm at Yale when we are first introduced co-education there mm -hmm. and the, the creation of women's teams. My daughter was a Division I athlete, and I saw the great opportunities she had after this, this period of time. And yet it seems strange to think that and see the numbers that you're not seeing a growth in, in women head coaches of women's college sports teams. You seem to be seeing a decline. How, how do we explain that? Well, you know, uh, I just left uh, uh, Providence where we had our inclusion forum, and certainly um, this was one of the issues that we um, um, talked about there. And and listening to some of our panelists, they would say, well, part of the reason is that as particularly, and, and let's focus on women's basketball because it's one of the most high-profile uh, as more and more uh, money was introduced into the sport, uh, you saw uh, more and more men applying for positions to become head coaches in women's uh, uh, programs. Uh, so that 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 um, uh, in some ways uh, explains the fact that we've seen this kind of the pendulum shifting to seeing more men engaged in uh, women's uh, sports. And then um, I, I think the, the one of the groups that has been most adversely impacted by that shift have been women of color. And you see single-digit representation of women of color in both in many cases in coaching, but certainly in athletic administration. In Division I, 2% of the women athletic directors are women of color. In Divisions uh, two and three, it is uh, one and 2%. So 
just a a a, a real uh, paucity of represent representation of women of of of, of color. And and again, um, the NCA recognizes this and is beginning to do. Uh, develop programs. For instance, we're developing a program with um, um, the uh, Women's uh, Association, the volleyball uh, coaches, to help them identify that next generation of, of, of women head coaches of color. And how do we then help them from a professional development perspective, to prepare them to move on if they have aspirations. Again, as we've talked about, it's not always about the X's and O's. It's it's the non-coaching pieces that we've got to expose uh, our future generation of, of, of coaches to. You've talked about some of the things that the NCAA is doing as as the the you know the umbrella group, if you will, for the some eleven hundred member institutions. How about the institutions themselves? What what kind of suggestions would you give to them and to individual coaches out there in terms of how they can better begin to expand the opportunities for either, as I said, uh, men of color? women, as you said, especially women of color in the coaching ranks. What, what can they be doing to try to help this? Well, I, I know that um, through the various um, coaching associations, there are professional de- development opportunities. I know that the NCAA has a plethora of, of programs, and I would encourage any coaches out there who aspire to want to become a head coach or to um, participate in a professional development opportunity to go online and see our various programs and uh, apply. We're always looking for candidates for our, for our programs. Um, um, many of them are, are selective in terms of who is admitted to the programs, but there's that opportunity there, particularly if you aspire to, to do that. I think on uh, individual co- uh, campuses, I think head coaches have to look at their uh, coaching cadre and identify folks that they want to invest in who want to aspire, particularly if they are from a diverse population, um, and provide those kinds of professional opportunities uh, for them. Um, one of the things that, and, and we've developed a, a primer for uh, um, intercollegiate athletic leadership, if you're committed to really creating a more diverse and inclusive culture within your athletics department, here are some very practical things. So, so for example, um, if you have a female on your staff, but uh, she does not have oversight responsibility for football, and you have an opportunity to hire a football coach, make her part of that interviewing experience for hiring a football coach so that as she goes on an interview, she may not have hired a football coach, but she's been part of the process. So, So... Those are things that you can do that are very practical. They don't cost you any more money, but they create an opportunity, particularly for a woman, to have oversight and involvement with the hiring of a major football coach. Well, 
Bernard, as we said from the very beginning, the numbers are troubling, but it, it's good to hear that there are steps being taken to try to provide more opportunities. As you said, it's so much about the opportunities and then seeing people who look and sound and act like you in these positions for you to aspire to. So I want to thank you for spending some time and chatting with us today. It's always good to talk to you. Likewise. Good to see you again, Jack. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks again to Dr. Bernard Franklin. That does it for today. I'm Jack Ford, and hope you'll join us again soon for the College Sports Insider. Thank you.